politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Happy Monday, everybody. Just a quick word out there that we are going to talk about suicide in this episode. So if that is an issue that you do not want to hear discussed, this would be a good time to come back next week. We have to figure out what those cylindrical things were because that would be a thing to talk right? about. That is kind of freaky at this point. It was a <laughs> UFO is what it was. It yeah. blocked the signals of the, the airplane. Yeah. This is great. So at the end of the day, we're not going to have a problem with China because we're going to be destroyed by intelligent beings from another universe. Hey, you know, if my house is haunted, here's what I do know is I'm never going to know it because at night when I'm walking around in the dark, I don't turn lights on because I don't want to see the ghosts. And I wear earplugs because I don't want to hear them. And I have news for anybody who ever finds themselves in a horror movie. If you put earplugs in and you wear some cat eyes, you know, you don't have to be scared anymore because Jason's not going to get you because he's just a character written in a story. Just like ghosts in my dumb house. I'm just a little bit tired of uh, waking up at three in the morning to having a small redheaded uh, child at the foot of the bed staring at me. Was that Chucky? No, that would be my son. So yes, Chucky. No. (laughs) And on that note... Welcome to What the Hack, a show about hackers, scammers, and the people they go after. I'm Adam, cyber anti-privateer. I'm Bo, cyber anti-anti. And I'm Travis, cyber dirigible. God bless you. Danke. And today we hear from the former chief privacy officer at Cisco, McAfee Intel, and Sun. Currently, she's the CEO and founder of Privacy Code. Please welcome Michelle Dennity. Michelle Dennity, I am so excited to have you on our show. Normally, we, you know, shield the last name of a person, but you have a, an important last name in, in the area that we love to talk about, which is privacy and security. So rather and than shield it, we're going to shout it, right? We're going to shout it. <laughs> well, thank you. It's good to be here. It's good to see you guys again. We're, 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 we're sort of lighting the way of lightness and goodness and privacy and protection and safety. 100%. We're certainly trying. <laughs> You've been the chief privacy officer of more companies than I can even imagine. It's crazy. It's crazy. First things first, where are you coming to us from right now? So I am coming to you from privacycode.ai. We are a privacy um, platform 
I mean, everyone says a platform, but we basically said, Christy Edwards and I co-founded a company. It's a SaaS company. We're a couple of sassy gals. We thought we'd do a SaaS company. And basically what we do is we teach the world to privacy. We break down complex tasks and we train people how to build stuff in. Policy things, technical things, task by task, we build and we measure it when it's done. So really complex things. We make it easy for you. Fascinating. Michelle, where do you do this from? Where are your offices? Oh, physically on the planet. I'm coming to you from Los Altos, California. Los Altos, California. My okay. old stomping ground. Yeah. Bay Area. And before yep. we go uh, too much further, um, when you say SaaS, can you uh, define that for the audience? Yeah, we're a service company. So we're software as a service. You can subscribe to us and, and literally we, we've got thousands and thousands of library items. And so you can turn us on and we have libraries that tell you how. So we can tell you how to how to NIST, how to GDPR, how to do child safety in California. We have libraries of tasks. So you can search on how to set up a program in privacy, how to do child safety, how to um, use the NIST standards to secure your environment or, or just set up a program. Um, so no matter whether you're big or, or, or small or whether you're building a product or a program or you're a small company or a gigantic company, um, you can go on privacy code and, and be safer, be more secure, be more ethical. Okay, so I have a question. It sounds like a lot of that has to do with compliance in the area of privacy and the sharing of information. Do, do you go be above and beyond what is standard and what is asked of people to kind of describe uh, best case scenario or like in a perfect world? Absolutely. So it, it's really surprised me. So some people come at it and say, I just want to be compliant. And, and I used to hate that word because it was kind of like, I want to do the least amount. And, and that's okay too. But what's really pleasantly surprised me since starting this company is a lot of people are coming at it and our most popular library is actually our responsible AI. So how do I responsibly trade information? How do I responsibly, without bias, decide things? How do I use information so that I'm not creating a cesspool? <laughs> you know, how do I actually talk about children without biasing? How do I create learning systems and education systems without leaving kids behind? And I, that, that has been delightful. So there's a lot of people who actually want to do privacy well. And, and that's been really exciting. Because well, that's important. And, and, and hopefully also we'll get to talk a little bit in this program about what we can do to help consumers uh, be a bit more privacy conscious. But there was an article today in the Washington Post, and, and we were all kind of taken with it because it really shows how scary things can be uh, that involve the sale of data, in particular mental health data, uh, by these data brokers. Did you see the article by any chance? I did not. And I'm, I'm already like, I'm getting the creepy crawlies. Tell me well, more. Well, I mean, essentially, there were one of the, one of the, um, the people interviewed said it was like there was a tasting menu where they would actually show you what kinds of information were available. And it included... It included depression. It included uh, who's on what medicine. It also, you know, included Ugh. included um, suicidal ideation. Now, here's here's the the thing where I'm just like kind of flabbergasted because HIPAA doesn't cover 
the portals and the video, uh, the, the actual tech that's used by doctors, it covers the right. doctors and the providers, right. but, but, but the zoom of that world can sell that information however Yuck. they like. And, you know, there's a scenario here where the information could be bought by a serial killer who could commit tons of murders and never ever get arrested for any of them or thrown thrown in jail because or prison because they they're technically not illegal. He could just buy a list of people who were suicidal and then talk them into it. Ew. Exactly. And that is what is so bonkers. Now, of course, I like Mr. Twisted Demento who wants to make a movie out of it, but the, you know, cuz there is good movies to be had in here and if you do make that movie whoever's listening to this, I want to cut. Um <laughs> But the uh, okay, always, always the capitalist, always. But the but uh, but um, I mean, it's not too dark to make money. But um, and that's the point, though, Michelle. And I'm kind of curious to hear your take on that. What is too dark to make money? You know, where does where do we draw the line? Because there doesn't seem to be one. Yeah, it seems like the line keeps going ever, ever down, down, down. I mean, I I'm always sort of my my head shakes. Ever, I mean, the muscles in my neck are getting stronger and stronger with with the shaking of the neck. I mean, my my first question is like, why why are we selling this data? The other question is, we do have laws. I mean, we we do have them, right? We have forty two CFR, which is our 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 laws that are supposed to protect mental health care, right? There's supposed to be there there's HIPAA, which is a share until law, right? So it's a HIPAA supposed to be. You can share information for the purposes of treatment, and then it's sort of don't share unless, right, when it's not. And then 42 CFR is supposed to be for the purposes of um, addiction and mental health care, the things that used to be in our society so so embarrassing and and shameful that until Donahue came along. I don't know how many of your listeners remember Donahue. Absolutely. <laughs> but, we, you know, when talk shows came along, before that happened, it was very shameful to admit you had a problem with alcohol and mental health. Now it seems to be like a, a badge of honor if you've got anxiety or whatever. But that's when 42 um, CFR came along. It, it said that you had to have explicit consent before you were allowed to share any sort of addiction or mental health care or that kind of data. And, and it's a very tricky kind of law to deal with because, of course, when you are incapacitated by some sort of a mental disability or an addiction, it's very hard to give express consent, of course, because you are inherently incapacitated. And so it was very difficult because, of course, you'd present to your, your healthcare provider with uh, p potentially uh, malnutrition and you'd have sort of You'd have uh, health presentations and things, but you couldn't say why, right? But, but I have a question, and that is, mm -hmm. what, that's one thing when you're talking about health professionals. But here you're talking about data brokers, and exactly. you're talking about people who are using all of these different apps. And, you know, do these apps, do, do they have a special place? Not as, I mean... To where, sell. Where do the laws begin and end when it comes to them? Are they going to claim there's some First Amendment right to do what they do? Yeah. I don't know, but I just, it's it's very disturbing. And I just don't think the laws are there yet. I know that uh, that Senator Warren and Bernie Sanders and others have 
have proposed laws. I think Amy Klobuchar is part of that too. I think a federal yep. data protection law. Right. Well, and, and we got as close as we were going to get last summer with what I call ADAPA, the ADPPA. And then, of course, we killed it. Uh, I don't know. I, and I guess that's where I was winding around is like where it was very clear that we needed a law to glue together this idea of mental health and physical health. We still can't quite get it together. Now, we, here we see an example of people willingly putting out videos and we're having these, these pools of data putting out there on social media sites of, of self-donated applications inside and outside of a medical context. Right. And now you're seeing brokers commercializing packages of information yeah. and then selling it, you know, to either groups purporting to help you with depression or in the opposite way, as both suggest, helping you the opposite way. Be more depressed, take more drugs, group together, be more anxious or whatever it is. Go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Go and, down and the so, rabbit hole deeper. Be entertained so, by each other's, you know, you know, moroseness. Misery loves company or, you know, or it can be taught to. But so here is here is the the issue I have is, you know, I think that the way that you just described it is uh, is enlightening and important. The idea of piecing together the missing parts of law and regulation to protect people, I think, is coming at it backwards. Mm -hmm. In other words, you know, the share until model that that's the wrong way to look at it. It should be never share unless. And if we started with a never share, start with never share, then you can make requests to the headquarters of never share and the chairman of never share will say no. <laughs> <laughs> Although the Europeans have tried that for decades, right? I mean, that's, that is the, the essence of civil law is never share unless, and, and that's not the model in a common law jurisdiction like the United States. We are a nation of common law, which is, you know, the trial and error is start with principles and use the courts as use cases. So we are, we're, we're sort of the software model of laws, and that's the nature of common law. And, and, and that's why you see this clash of the U.S. versus mainland Europe is civil law versus common law, which, which philosophy works and which doesn't. So I don't think a model of never share will, it would ever work in the United States. And, and, and we're sort of seeing that the model of are we a democracy at all being severely tested in the United States as it is. So I don't think we can start with the premises of, of never share. But, but why? I think we have to push on, you know, do we care about how much do we want lucre and greed to rule? You know, how much does money rule us? Adam, Adam just said what my whole brain was screaming. But, but why? <laughs> what? What is like, but, but, but. <laughs> yeah, but why? But why? Yeah. Why? Do you understand what Michelle's saying about how, you know, it would never, ever work in the United States? Because like, Adam, I was very much in the, but why? Well, uh, that was actually one question I was going to ask you, is that right now we have a patchwork of privacy laws uh, from state to state. Do you think that any of them, as they're being uh, practiced right now, that could uh, serve as a template at the federal level? Well, I think two things. I think we have a patchwork, but we have no pants to put the patches on. And that's a problem. We have no pants. 
So it's hard to have the patches on no pants. So, I, and I think this was the problem with California from day one is, for example, we started talking about things like processors and controllers in California, which is an entirely European concept with no jurisprudence roots in the United States at all. Which again is in a common law jurisdiction, you have to start with principles and then you attach the use cases, which are cases in the courts, and you attach those cases to the principles. Whether you have no principles, then there's nothing to attach to. And so there's nothing for these cases to attach to. So you just have this slippery, slippery sort of the cases don't even reach the trial judges because there's there's just no case there's no harm and so you don't get into the federal courts you don't you don't get into the state courts because there's there's no such thing as you know this this isn't this isn't a you have no duty and so you haven't breached the duty you have no harm and so you have you have no you have no plaintiff you have no defendant and so it's it's very tricky in that way. And so I think this is where to have a national sort of framework is really, really important. And so maybe it's not as restrictive as going all the way to what the Europeans are dictating as far as adequacy. It's not going to be that far, but maybe it is as far as we need to go as as far as the Commerce Clause would dictate so that we can be a commercial entity as the United States. So maybe it goes as far as this is our pants, and then we need to put our individual states' rights patches on our pants so that we can have points of view because we are very, very different culturally from state to state, and we have very different needs in terms of our cultural views of privacy as we conceive of it as 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 privacy really is a a notion of collectivism and taste and and manners goes so i think that's the problem that we have with privacy in the united states is we are at once a a, a sort of venally capitalist nation we think of ourselves as radical individualists but we're not we are very much a sort of um, prudish, individually private, and yet tribal nation. Um, and yet we want to pump out our tech that forces us to be crudely open. And then we're selling all of this stuff um, as, as fast as we can. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works, not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing, and I need to make split-second financial decisions, and that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks, and I trade options, and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com. 
the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means... You get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com. And please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C ebikes.com I think, um, I, I guess at the end of the day, this comes down to two pretty foundational questions, which is, what is privacy and why is it important? Yeah, so I'll tell you my, and actually I'm sitting right next to the Privacy Engineers Manifesto. <laughs> in which I, I propose a functional definition um, for privacy, which is privacy as the authorized processing of personally identifiable information according to moral, ethical, legal, and sustainable principles. Ethical, one of those, eh? <laughs> Yes. Well, well, and so I'll break that down. And, and this is, you know, I, and I always give you know, do apologies to true philosophers. I, I view moral as like, you know, don't kick puppies. I used to say don't slap babies, but apparently we've passed that. <laughs> we've crested we've <laughs> over that. <laughs> Thankfully. Yeah. yeah. Well, or under that, I don't know, 2016 is a rough year. Um, so, you know, morality is, is really like stuff you don't want to, you, you wouldn't want to tell your grandma. Ethics, I view more as like, think of it as branding, you know, like what does your company stand for? Legally should be third. You know, this is where you said earlier, like people are designing for compliance. There are so many things that are compliance driven is stuff that happened 10 years ago. By the time the, the, the Congress has gotten around to it, that's 10 years ago. And technology, as you know, has, has leapt forward. So if you're if you're designing for compliance, you are yesterday's news. You're still talking about Bitcoin and we're talking about <laughs> other stuff. <laughs> and then sustainability isn't isn't just environmental. It's really like if you design for a certain level of security and privacy, do you have enough staff? Do you have the great culture? You know, can you actually do it? Can you can you keep those promises? Because mm -hmm. if you can't, then then that's not the right level for you. So if you can keep all four of those levels in your stack, then that is privacy, right? Can you run us through those four levels again, just quick? Yeah. So authorized is, is a lot like, and that, and that changes over time, right? So is the, and that, that leaves the user square in the center. So I choose 
So it's the authorized processing, cradle to grave, anything you do, storing, keeping, sharing, whatever, of personally identifiable, anything that identifies a human, morally, ethically, legally, sustainably. And that's privacy to me. And that's much broader than, you know, the Europeans. That includes GDPR, which doesn't say privacy. That includes the human rights aspect of it. Um, so so I, I do define it very broadly on purpose because when you're designing systems and policies, I, I believe you have to be quite broad or you're, you're constantly having to clean up on aisle six. But Michelle, as an individual, what does privacy mean to you? It, I, I still fall under that same category. I think, you know, what, what are my personal authorized changes over the years? You know, when I was, when I was, I, I, I think about this, it, it, it came very clear to me when I was, um, I was doing like a charity ride. It was like a 60 mile ride. It was a multi-day thing. And I was a young mother and there was like one shower that was covered and it, all these like 20 something young ladies were like grasping their towels around their beautiful young non having given birth bodies <laughs> and they're waiting for the covered shower i had had two children at that point when you give birth in a teaching hospital like 26 people come in and just like whip off your gown and look at your goodie bits i was like standing there naked <laughs> I was like, yeah, whatevs. Give me a garden hose to rinse that shit off. Like, over time, what is authorized changes. Okay. That's actually a really good example. And okay. I, right? Yeah. And if, you're, and if you're squeamish about it, and if you're squeamish about that, folks who are listening, get over it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, life. Mo- I, I'm post-menopause now. I'm going on holiday in 60 days. I'm wearing a bikini. Like, I'm going to be covered as far as like, you know, drugstore pornography is concerned. <laughs> but if that grosses you out, that's on you. No, but Michelle, actually, you just gave me a great example. You said you're, you're you know, you're post-menopause. Yeah. Now, you just said that on a podcast that's going to be posted wherever yeah. people get podcasts. Now, that means that information, it's not even scraped, right? It's just out yeah, there. And it's so, just out there, man. So, like, what, there's a difference between privacy as... I think Adam was trying to get at, like, what does it mean to you and what does it mean to you as a privacy professional? Right. And, and as a privacy professional, it is very clear what it means. It's even something where you could write a compliance uh, manual about what it means. Exactly. But when it comes to the person, that authorization, the when does no mean no and when does yes mean yes, that is personal. All right. But I want to talk about the lawsuit thing. Yeah. Uh, now. Adam and I were talking before the show, and I got really upset about a story that was in the news last week, which uh, involved surprise, surprise, social media. And if you know, and if you'll remember, in the beginning of the show, there was a trigger warning. Consider it another warning right now. We're going to talk about suicide again. Yeah. So there was a girl in the news who was being tortured, and there was video of her getting beaten up and dragged down a hallway and humiliated. Horrible. And she went home and killed herself. Ugh. And and I understand social media is a big business, but at what point does social media no longer have the right to be right. the venue where this murder takes place? Right. So then, so then we get the question, you know, what if they, the parents do sue? 
And what if they sue TikTok or Meta or wherever it happened online? Yeah. What if they yeah. sue? Then you do have case law. Then you yeah. do have something hard for privacy to rub up against and define itself. Yeah. Well, when are we going to see that, Michelle? I hope soon, because I tell you what, it, I remember having this discussion, um, gosh, it must be like a quarter century ago. It's amazing. And it was, <clears throat> and in this case, to me, is so much easier. In, in the case that I was having this conversation, it was 25 years ago, and it was a fiction. So it was a person writing a fictional story about exactly what you're talking about. And I said at the time that we were talking about like the Indecency Act and and I said, even the fictional story about that, there should be limits on publication because it's so graphic and awful and triggering to, and it was about a high school student and, and about like, you know, her going home and then, you know, hurting herself that I said, this is, this is going to hurt someone. And at some point you should have responsibility as a publisher, knowing what we know about mental health and knowing about what we know about people and, and what they are, what, what we have known about each other as humans for the last 3,000 years, when you put that out there, that you should have a certain level of ethical responsibility. And the person I was arguing with, who was a, a partner at the time, was like, no, 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 free, 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 free speech. Free. I, I said, you know, at what point is this the sort of, you know, fire in the, in the crowded theater dicta? Well, there was also not too long ago a case of a prosecution that occurred uh, where someone egged someone on that had yes. suicidal tendencies and the prosecution was for, I think, murder too, something well, like yes, that. Yes, because, yep. she, because she had apparent. an opportunity. Yeah, and, and, and the... And the, the the young man got out of the car and, and started to say he was not so sure. And she continued to egg him on. And I, I mean, and, and the, and the thing in the case that you're talking about where they're showing this person, that's not, it's not newsworthy. So there's no excuse that this is newsworthy. Um, there's no, I, and I'm not sure that it ever is. I, I the, the one time I, I did click on the image. I remember Nicholas Berg being beheaded and i'll never forget oh, it right. i i clicked on the image and i i witnessed that uh, and i to this day have never recovered from that and i and i can't even imagine what his family goes through knowing that so many people saw that horrible horrible thing of his last moments on this earth so when I see things like that, I think that every single time it's a crime against humanity. I really do. And I feel very strongly about that. And I know that I may not be in the majority about that, but I view that as a crime. I really do. I don't think that it's just a publication or... or so I, I know that I'm in the minority about things like that, but I, I don't think that it's just a publication issue. I, I view that as a crime. I really, I was harmed personally by that image. And I don't think that we should be doing that to young people. I think that we should not be causing people to become inured to these images. I don't no, think that I our agree. young people should be numbed to these issues. You should always, as a human being, 
feel harmed by these images. So I, I think that um, there's a lot more policy work to be done here. I think there's a lot more nuance to be done. Um, and, and I feel horrible that we are allowing young people in the world to have to filter. There are human beings filtering this stuff every day. They are being severely harmed. There are some lawsuits to be had, too, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we're, you know, we're talking about kids, you just talked about children. We all have kids. And obviously, when it comes to children, privacy matters. Obviously, their understanding of privacy matters. The way they conduct themselves uh, needs to be inculcated in them uh, over their, their childhood. Uh, there was a person, I think that Michelle, you and I know, she'll go nameless, but she had a daughter and she said to her daughter, um, you can go on some of these sites that, you know, kids go on, but there are two rules. You never give them your address and you never give them your last name. And she came into the room, I guess about a month and a half later and said, mom, I messed up. I basically gave somebody my, my name and the address. Nothing happened. She went to college about of 12 years later, two credit card applications come into her home. One with the last name ain't telling you and the other with her actual last name. We were supposed to get to something else, but I just got to say real quick, I got a call the other day, a scam call, guys, and it was a woman from somewhere else, I couldn't place the accent, who just said, can you please confirm that you you own 111 Main Street <laughs> in in Elmstown, USA? And, I, and I, she, the address was associated with me. I knew what they were doing, and I said... Oh, no, no, no. I just sold that place like five minutes ago. Are you trying to buy it? Because I'll sell it to you. And (laughs) (laughs) Didn't one of your children have her identity stolen like nine years before she was born? Twice. Yes, yes. Before she was born, she had her identity stolen and she was born with what I call a financial birth defect. (laughs) She had uh, the worst credit score possible at her birth. Um, Yeah. How bad was it? How bad was it? I think she had like a 300 or something like that. Wow, she's okay. Looted. That's bad. <laughs> At birth, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I and I actually, you know, we did we did ask um, the Social Security Administration like why they continued to issue used numbers to children you know when they issued them when you know at the hospital they they urge you to get a social security number um you know while you're there you right. know, having having your bits examined at a teaching hospital like peekaboo here you are like, hey, hey. we have you yeah wow look hey you know 10 minutes before that was like you'd have to at least buy me a cocktail um now you can sign up for a social security number and flash your badge um yeah so she it, they used to issue the numbers in tranches sequentially and so it was very easy to predict what the next batch of numbers was and so that's how identity thieves would get at them and so that's what they did and so she was issued that number and then probably um we're assuming that that hospital was also the victim of uh, a theft and so a group of information was also used to traffic 
humans over the border and the southern border of the United States. And so a bunch of information was used to traffic people. And also, so also using the same number again, um, there were records of uh, housing and guns and all sorts of goodies in the same child's social security number. So we worked with Bo Holland and the good people at All Clear ID to clear up her identity when she was about eight years old. Huh. Oh, Bo, I remember Bo. Good dude. I'm yeah. right good here. Company. What? What? No, the other Bo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, did that spark your interest in privacy? No, or? I was already in privacy. It was really embarrassing that I already was in it, and that's mm. part of the reason um, um, Bo and Nico Sala asked me to check out their company and and help promote the brand. And you know, that's a good day in your in your business when a CPO is asked to to help endorse your brand. And turns out my own kid was a victim of identity theft right under my True. own nose. Well, but we had that, you know, my my children are 19 uh, and 21. And um, I uh, didn't freeze either of their credits. Never did it. And uh, I knew I should have done it. I was supposed to have done it, but I did not do it. Um, you know, they have best practices, but they didn't have me doing best practices. <laughs> it's always I, the way. Yeah. Well, I, I made a, I made a confession on the show a few weeks ago that here I am at 73 and I finally froze my credit about, you know, three weeks ago, a little bit late to the party, but. Well, uh, but you also, we, oh, you also had like a cadre of like unmarked vans driving behind you that could clear up your credit if you ever had a problem. Exactly. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rope Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rope's got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So, so Michelle, we know we don't have you much longer. Can you give us a, a hit list of things that regular people can do to improve their relationship with the Wild West mentality here in the United States when it comes to consumer privacy? Well, so I will tell you something that is a bit controversial. And, and so I will, I will, I call it my panties rule. 
So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> now that I don't have a PR department, I get to call it out, call it what it is. So That's I, right. Yeah. I call it my panties rule. I say, make your passwords like your panties. Now you have to follow these three rules together. Make them exotic. So use weird passwords. Change them frequently, and that's where it, it gets <laughs> controversial because when you change them frequently, you have to keep them exotic. Right. Right? And don't share them with other people because that's gross. Okay? <laughs> that's true. So you, have, you have to follow them all in, in together, all those three rules. I am so exotic. Just change them frequently and don't share with others. I like yes. that. Because it's gross. Cause yeah, because we're I, talking about cyber hygiene here. We're so, talking hey. about good hygiene. And I got in trouble because I used the word panties, God forbid. But it, And the other thing is, Laurie Craner did great research at Carnegie Mellon saying that when people change them frequently, they would often use boring passwords. And, and But that violates the exotic rule. So you do okay. have to... You know. I, I got, I'm gonna, Michelle, I'm going to share something with you. You've been very forthcoming with us. So I'll tell you that I have a library of panties <laughs> exotic <Yes>. panties <laughs> yes yes well done Bo. well done. i have a complete very large drawer filled with drawers fruit of the loom not expensive all ice dyed it's like tie-dye but ice dyed anyway all tie-dyed so they're all unique every single one is different excellent and they're tie-dyed so make your underwear tie-dyed people there's your answer. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. I will leave you with the panties roll. Exotic. Don't share with others. And change them from time to time because that's disgusting. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Yeah, Bode, when did you come up with that screenwriter story? I mean, was it something that you had been thinking about and then you read something in the news that confirmed that maybe you weren't so far off or it was as a result of when you read the story about the person who was for it, was encouraged to commit suicide? Or yeah, or just, no, just humiliated. And, you know, I think it was, I think it was, uh, um, you know, when you, when, <laughs> you know, and I mean, Obviously, that's not funny, but this is funny. In Austin Powers, remember, he, there was a character, I think it might have been Dr. Evil, who had a mole, and, and he kept saying, mole, mole, mole. Mole, mole, mole. Yeah. Most, 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 most excellent agent we've ever seen. Yes, most excellent agent we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That was uh, Fred Savage in the second one. Yep. Oh yeah, and every so everything like he'd be like talking about something else, and somehow it would come up that he'd mm -hmm. just drop mole into a sentence. Well, when I read that story, it really did upset me, and I am just now I'm all I'm thinking about now when I think about privacy issues, and when I think about the way that uh, we traffic in information in this country, all I'm thinking about is that case. So it it it's definitely connected. I don't think a movie about it is going to change anything, but I do think a lawsuit might. Let's hope. It might. Let's hope. But, you know, when you talk about trafficking in information and then you talk about human trafficking, I mean, the damage can be horrifying yeah. either way. Well, 
And I think that that's exactly right. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but this is a form of trafficking. We are living in a culture that actively uh, sells humans. It's just not in a way that involves kidnapping. The, you know, it's human trafficking. It's just there's no kidnapping, there's no imprisonment, but it's human trafficking. It's like you think about the anti-privacy privateers, because that's really what's going on. These are privateers. And they Privateers are, are pirates, though. They are pirates, but they, they're basically pirating our information and then yeah, selling yeah. it That's, and getting their gold for it. All right. Well, I'm, I'm ready to learn about how we can make ourselves more secure. So with that, let's do our tinfoil swan. Our paranoid takeaway to help keep you safe online. Okay, Mr. Purple Pop Owl, what do you got for us this week? Well, as you both know, I'm pretty big on keeping private online. Uh, yeah, which is why you're a co-host on a weekly podcast about privacy. Well, there is that. Anyway, with what we've talked about today about uh, mental health diagnoses being compiled and sold based on your uh, internet activity, I thought we could share a few tips to be able to look for medical resources without having it come back to haunt you. And by haunting you, we mean getting denied life insurance or paying higher premiums. Or worse, the repeal of Roe versus Wade means that your search history or app usage could be used against you in a court of law. Lest we forget that report about Meta collecting data from apps that help women track their menstrual cycles. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. Deeply. I think it's only reasonable that people should be able to look up resources for medical and mental health without having to worry about being uh, treated as like a commodity. Okay, wise owl, what do you recommend? Well, two things. Number one, use a VPN. It can help you reroute your traffic through another country or even state. Okay, let's put a pin in that for a second. And we are going to get back to that. But guys, I want to tell you a quick little story. I was recently looking for a therapist to help me deal with a very specific issue. <laughs> Jokes aside. And I was sent a form. And that form asked so many very particular questions. I sent them the Washington Post article because this was actually just over the, over the past couple of days. Right. And they refused to read it. And I answered every single question, no. Like, have you ever breathed? No. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen a dog before? No. no. What's a dog? <laughs> and they wrote back and said, oh, well, you know, you didn't fill this out. So you have to understand that I can't see you as a patient. And I said, that's perfectly fine. One of my tips, guys, is. If you don't have to fill out the form, don't. And if you have a, a professional or a service or something that requires you to do so, ask them if they really do and if they really need that. And if they say yes, you can still walk. You can still go to someone who doesn't need it. Now, to get back to VPNs, the, the reason you want to use it is that your internet service provider or mobile provider is not able to track your inter internet activity as easily. Well, I don't think there's any truly free VPN. I mean, your data is sellable. Never forget that. You really do have to read the user agreements and the privacy policies of whatever service you're thinking about using. Especially their data retention policies. So the second point here is that you should use the Tor browser. Tor is easily the most uh, secure and privacy-friendly uh, browser out there. What it does is that every time you make any kind of request, it bounces that request around the internet before getting to your endpoint which means that it helps to anonymize your data and it also blocks things from uh, collecting your IP address. Now, but hold on. Uh, you, you don't have to pay for uh, Tor, but uh, it's, a pain in the, it's a pain in the rear to set up, isn't it? No, it's actually pretty easy. 
Well, you could pay for a VPN. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could. Or you really, you know, but you're suggesting people use Tor instead of a more standard web browser. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, exactly. So Tor is a bit slower uh, just because it's bouncing your signal around. But at the same time, it's a lot more private. So I put it this way to people. If you want to use the internet to order a pizza, by all means, use Chrome or Firefox or Safari or anything like that. If you want to look up symptoms or treatment options or something like that, use Tor. Okay, so we got a new rule. It's called the pizza rule. Anything you don't want to be tracked, really. Right. So a combination of a VPN and Tor is going to be your best bet overall. Neither of them are at all difficult to set up or difficult to use. All right, so but we're not advocating this to grease the skids for anything illegal, obviously, unless you live in a despotic nation state where we would definitely advocate you breaking the law, especially if it comes to downloading websites that might tell you how to get rid of your despot. And it is definitely a mitzvah to break the law. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tor is a privacy tool. And like any tool, it can be used with good or bad intentions. We've established that. But maintaining your privacy shouldn't conjure images of criminals. Exactly. Now, hold on. I did want to just repeat. If, if you or anyone you know is considering suicide or you think someone is considering committing a crime, especially a violent one, help's available. And for the, for the first thing that I mentioned, you can dial 988. It's a new hotline for people who are really struggling. It's 24 hours a day and seven days a week. But to get back to this idea of maintaining privacy, it's the, it should not be about things you don't want people to know about exclusively. It should be that you want to have your own space and not have strangers wandering through it. Don't you think, Adam? Well, that really is Michelle Danity's message. I mean, she has always talked about people need to have the freedom to tell their own story. And the problem is, if too many people know your story... That by the time you tell it, it's either old news or they've so rearranged it that it doesn't sound anything like you. Or if someone can plug the variables into a program that will spit out something you might say. You know, it's just the less that's out there, the the stronger your privacy. The more that's out there, the, the weaker your privacy is. It sounds obvious, but are you are you using Tor and a VPN? I'm not. You sure he's not the guy with the hammer? <laughs> Pretty sure. Pretty sure. And yes, I am using both. Even to order pizza. And that's our tinfoil swan. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please share an episode with a friend and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps people find the show. What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media, produced by Andrew Stephen. You can find us online at adamlevin.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin.